have your Bibles, find John chapter number 3 with me. I'll just remind you guys of a couple things while you find your spot. It's really delighted to have our International Mission, Mission, International Mission Board missionary with us next week. You, some of you guys will remember Rusty Ford. Um, some of you guys have driven a Rusty Ford. Um, I literally was just seeing who was paying attention. Uh, but Rusty and his beautiful family are um, in Seville, Spain, and um, God has given them the grace to plant two churches from, you know, from zero believers to two churches that are functioning while they're away. Um, just what a blessing. And he'll bring a word and, um, uh, next Sunday. And it's it's going to be great. Uh, Rusty is just great. Um, I, uh, Michael, I know you, you've been friends with him a long time. You'll agree. To be around Rusty, you know, just draws you near to the Lord every time. And so we're going to give a treat. And, uh, and then, you know, to, to make sure you're good and awake, please come next Saturday and work like barbed mules here. You know, you know, all hands on deck, work day next Saturday, start at 9 a.m. And uh, if you work really hard, you'll sleep and have a great conscience and be ready for Rusty on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, John chapter number three. You know, um, it's tough. It's tough to, to lose the spotlight. If you've ever been in it and, you, and you know, you've been taken out of the spotlight, it's, it's really, really tough. Um, I was a really arrogant athlete uh, for a long time, and I actually, you know, have enough skills to back up a good amount of my arrogance in many cases. I'll never forget, I was just getting back to playing ball. I had been in training for a long time in the Army, and then I had been deployed, and I was finally back in a place where military life was so normal that they had a base softball team. And um, they had already kind of gotten started when I heard about it. And, uh, and um, I went to join the team. And, uh, you know, they, they put me batting 10. Now, if you know anything about softball, that's last. And, you know, all my years of playing baseball, I always batted usually third or fourth. That's, that's the area of positions. You know, I don't know if y'all get, if you play enough ball to get this. And uh, sometimes second, sometimes fifth, but not, not too deep in the order. And, uh, and uh, I remember as soon as I saw that, I thought, well, I, I hope we lose and I do great. And that'll show them. Well, then as soon as I thought that, I said, like, what a ridiculous notion. What a ridiculous notion. And, and I, I shocked myself to have this super arrogant thing. I like winning. I, I hate losing more than I like winning. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? And I, and I just said I kind of wanted to lose. Like, what, what sickness has overcome me that I want to lose? It was arrogance, self-centeredness. And, um, and, and I just saw like a side of myself I had never seen before. You know, I'd always sort of competed and, and, and you know, been placed in places because they either saw it or heard about me. And they had neither seen it nor heard about me. And so they... They had put me way down, you know, and put people they had seen in play ahead of me. And I just didn't deal with it well. I literally, I was, I was like 20 years old. I went back to our barracks and found uh, it. I'm not kidding. I literally went back and shut the door, and I went and sat in the corner. We had these little desks built into your, your dresser. And I sat at my little desk and pouted. And I thought, look at this. They don't know who I am. I'm in the prime of my life. I'll hit home runs. You know, 
then I had this really encouraging thought. I have a key to all the weapons. I can fix all of these people. I can be bad in any place in the order I want. That means I was going to shoot people. I think some of y'all are floating around. Well, that's the usual thing. When we get pushed aside, when we even perceive that someone's being put before us, our typical response is we get angry. We get angry and we want somebody to do something about it. Uh, if you don't believe me, then just go anywhere where you're waiting in line and someone gets in front of you without explaining. You'll immediately start mumbling. Well, who do they think they are? You know, then, then once you find, oh, that's their family. They're just, well, they could have waited in line like all of us. We, we don't like, we don't like being shuffled down, do we? None of us do. John the Baptist is a primer in humility. Because this guy had the number one ministry in the land, and now his own followers are even walking away from him, and other crowds are going to someone else, and the way they confront this is they tell John, John says, perfect, that's the way this is supposed to work. Jesus is more important than me. Well, that's shocking to the Christian American Christian mind because we can't imagine anything being more important than itself. But John just gets right in our face and goes, no, Jesus is way more important than you. He's way more important than your public image. He's way more important than your comfort level. And when we, when we agree with God about that, big stuff starts to happen in our lives. Tonight, we have a big idea to put out in front of you, and it's this. John the Baptist gives every Christian their chief goal and purpose, and that's to point others to Christ. And with that sort of simplicity, I can just ask us up front, are you taking up your calling to point people to Jesus? Let me deepen the question. Are you taking up that calling, even if it means you're forsaking things you think are really important to you? Let's dig in to John chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. If you have your Bible with you, it'll be a great time to have it open. You're going to want to make some marks and notes in it. If not, it will be on the screen. John 3, 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Enon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and the Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing. And what's that word, church? All. All. That's a damaging to your ego. All are going to him. John answered, I'll get that sucker. Oh, no, that's not what he says. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must 
decrease. Right? No, Jesus must decrease, Casey. This is America. Oh, so you're in agreement with the Bible? He, meaning who? Jesus. Jesus must what? Increase. What happens to the eye? Ooh. Now, we don't mind hearing that when we start analyzing it in the American context. We don't, we're not going to like that. I'm, I'm going to warn us. I don't like it. I'm, I don't like being put down the back mode. I've already told you. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Fathers, we dig into your word, dig into our spirits, deal with us as only you can. As one who is all-knowing, as one who is the truth, yet at the same time as that one who loves mercy and offers grace. Deal with us as a truth-telling father who loves to relieve his children of their pain. Help us in this time of looking into your word. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. I was sitting and talking with Casey and Brett just a little while ago, and I said, when I first looked at this passage, it was my assignment to preach, so I was like, wow, this is easy. I'll say two things. I'll say this. One, John bowed to Jesus. Great. Got that? John bowed to Jesus. Fill in your blanks in your bulletin. The sermon will go fast. It's that simple. Half of this passage is John, even though his followers are saying, hey man, this guy's taking your folks. What did he do? He bowed to Jesus. Then, then the second point would be John exalted Jesus. Sermon over. Woo! Let's pray and go to Torero's or La Casina or uh, Ex Quaco, whatever that one is. By Era, yeah, Quaco, the New Mexican restaurant, El Quaco. If I ever open a Mexican restaurant, I'm going to name it the Mexican restaurant. There will be no confusion. Sermon over. Jesus, John bowed to Jesus. John exalted Jesus. Sermon over, right? That's the point of this. The guy, now you've got to put this in context, the guy who had the greatest ministry on the face of the planet was totally okay with Jesus' ministry exiting his ministry out. Now, I, I don't for one moment think my life matters as the best ministry in person counted. That's super arrogant. But could we, for the sake of illustration, see it like that? Some people have in times past. I had someone a couple years ago say to me, you know, Tim, you know, wouldn't your ministry not be needed if local churches would just take up their call to minister to teens and families like they should? And I said, yes. And they said, well, I guess you hope that'll never happen. I said, are you enough? Why would I not want every local church to be hyper-healthy? Why would I not want that? 
And they said, well, you would be out of a job. I said, no, I wouldn't. I'd be on staff at one of these local churches. <laughs> Hello. So there's this idea here that is really radical that might take a while to seep in. When we start taking on God's priorities and God's orders, it will diminish some things in our life. But as long as we exalt some things in our life, we push out God's priorities and God's orders. That's the simplicity of this sermon. Now, you can get into the details. It's like, what is this whole purification deal? You know, they don't explain the argument. I love that they don't explain the argument. Because if they explain the argument, we would say, this argument really only matters if we're talking about that one thing. No, they don't. They don't explain the argument. They just say, this argument, this discussion, rather, this, this controversy, gave them pause, rose up questions. They brought the questions to John. John goes, cool. <laughs> cool. Jesus is doing better than me. You know, it's like that guy we watched in funny videos, Carson. He goes, exactly. <laughs> hey, man, Jesus is taking your ministry. Exactly. Right? So what can we take away from this? The bulk of my sermon will be tonight be about application. I think there's some things that you can learn as a minister of the gospel. There's some things our church can learn as we minister the gospel from this passage that are criti critically important. We give you seven things, and I'm not going to take up all night. I think it's seven. I numbered them, so I wouldn't have to count them. We give you guys seven things really quickly. Number one, problems often present clear opportunities for proclamation. Now, it's time for the church to stop feeling like we have to be on the defensive all the time when issues come up. I mean, and you, you pick your issue. We can pick this issue. Some question about purification. In other words, I, I can tell you in essence what they were arguing about. People are coming to Jesus. Does that mean what John was doing is invalidated? That's, that's the essence of what, what was going on. Well, you just pick your controversy in America. Take your pick, bud. Um, vaccine, not vaccine, mask, not mask, Democrat, Republican, neither. You know, uh, are you a Trumponian? Or are you riding with Biden? <laughs> I mean, uh, racial tension galore, right? Everywhere you turn, uh, issues of gender and sexuality abound. You pick an issue. Right? You pick an issue, and it will either become your focus so much that you will be a crusader for the issue, or you will say, ultimately, how is God going to solve this in Christ? And if you're asking that question, you're going to start proclaiming Christ. Like, how is God going to resolve our political woes in America? You ready? He's going to put every nation before the judgment seat and at the feet of Christ. And that nation will either in gleeful joy say Jesus is Lord or in woeful conviction say Jesus is Lord. <laughs> How's God going to deal with all the various moral and social issues? Well, one day he's going to quit letting us even argue about them. And he's going to put the sheep over here and the goats over here. And he's going to tell both crowds to hush in the face of the glory of God. When you, when you can say, like, uh, any, pick any issue, when you can say, 
I see ultimacy over immediacy, and problems often present clear opportunities for proclamation. They brought a big problem to John. Your whole ministry is getting diminished. You know what John said? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Say, wait a minute, John, you do realize that you're going to lose followers. You are losing followers. What do you have to say about this? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> What if we saw problems not as something that we had to beat our friends over, but as something we could point our friends to Jesus through? Somebody bring you a gender issue. You say, are you a follower of Jesus? And they say, no, you say, I have a mission to you. The real problem here is I have a mission to you. They say, yes, you say, ah, I have a discipleship arena. And you say, great. Would you like to start discussing all that the scripture says for those who follow Jesus? And if they say no, you say, ah, now I wish it failed. And if they say yes, you methodically walk them through the teachings of Jesus. And let the Holy Spirit do some work. You welcome them at your table. Doesn't mean you let them substitute teach for you. It doesn't mean you welcome them to your table. Make a sense to somebody, somebody say amen. You say, preacher, where do you get this? Look at the problem and look what John does. John bows to Jesus. John exalts Jesus. Secondly, or believe. Knowing our role in the kingdom clarifies our worth. Look back at verse 28 with me, if you would. Look back at verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I say I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Hey, John, Jesus is taking me from you. Cool. I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. He is. Y'all say that you heard me say that I already knew that. I'm okay. Be in second place. Because I know who's in first place. I don't even think John said second place. Honestly. I'm okay being 400 million place. Or whatever place I'm in. Right. I know. I know there's a great many before me. As a matter of fact, the scriptures would say, put everyone before yourself. Knowing our role in the kingdom clarifies our worth. When you know that God still has work for you, it, it doesn't have to be the main work. You don't have to be the main one being seen. John is being unseated from the biggest ministry in the nation in the surrounding nations, and he's okay with it because he knows what his role is. And he knows what his worth is. C. Assuming our role, we point people to Christ. But you have to assume that role. Go back down to verse 29. The one who has the bride is before him. Excuse me. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He's using a very cultural metaphor that, that um, we don't get these days. Maybe we could read it like this. Uh, you know, maybe we could say it like this. The wedding planner is not the most important person at the wedding. Uh, I don't know how many, how many of you guys have been to a considerable amount of weddings. Have you ever seen an overbearing wedding planner? Yeah, as a pastor, I cannot stand to do those weddings. 
Because, you know, and young people, you know, my daughters, I, I pray. I won't be offended if one day you want somebody else to officiate your wedding. Let's say I'm officiating your wedding at some point in the future um, to someone who is noble and I haven't killed yet. And, you know, what I'm going to be saying to you guys is here's the point of Christian marriage. Here's some symbols of a Christian wedding. And the marriage itself is much harder than the wedding. The wedding is, is, is a symbol that should preach that day. Your marriage is some substance that should preach for decades. So, you know, you can have some cute elements in your wedding, but as Christian young women, you should be asking yourself, am I unfolding the elements in a way to preach the gospel? Wedding planners tend to think what is pretty. It could be so pretty. Preachers, gospel preachers, tend to think what will preach. But sometimes we get the butt heads. Right? But even a gospel preacher would say, here's the order of the day's events. Not for me, the preacher, to look good or have my way, but for you as a couple to unite so that you're united in such a way that your wedding just preached the gospel. You came under the Lordship of Jesus in such a beautiful way that all the witnesses saw the gospel being lived out. So let me get out of y'all's way. Let me get out of the, the wedding folks' way. And let me get out of Jesus' way. Some wedding planners will jack you up. You know what John's saying? He says, hey, guys, I was just helping organize the thing, but now that the bridegroom is here, the, bride, the, the bride's flocking to see the bridegroom. That's who she's here for. And so what do I want to do? I want to say, hey, come here. The, 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 the groom is here. And girls, they start shrieking and running like the eldest concept. Oh. And they're like, and that's basically what he says. Everybody's running over to Jesus. Like, great, perfect. That's who they should be running over to. Now, I'm not going to sit here and insist that this thing goes to suit me because it's about him. And they know it. When we assume our role and people meet Jesus, and our importance fades out in the background. Cheerio. D. Christian ministry points to the supremacy of Christ. Look at verse 31. Now John, John is bowed to Jesus, and now he's starting to, to exalt Jesus. Look at verse 31. It's so cool. He said, he who comes from above is above all. You know, he uses a, a geographic or spatial or cosmic argument here. He says, you know, he stepped down into our reality all I know is our reality. It makes sense. It makes sense that he is supreme. So I'm going to tell you guys a story. It's a little bit of a painful story. Uh, my, dad, my dad spent a lot of his life thinking he was saved. He made some commitment, some prayer. He went forward in his local church when he was a kid. He got baptized. And, I, you know, I'm saved. And so you, know, you say, hey, you know the Lord? My dad said, yeah, I know the Lord. And I found out what I really had to do was slowly chip away at the fruit argument. Does that make sense to anybody? Hey, Dad, you say, you know, the Lord, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Well, he went through a very difficult physical experience, and that physical, difficult physical experience drove him to the Lord. And I believe the man really got saved out he started bearing fruit. Now, that being said, I'm going to tell you a very terrible story about my dad. I'd taken him somewhere, and we were coming back, and we were shortcutting. Um, I'd taken some appointment somewhere, I think in Charlotte. We're coming back, and by the time we got to Burlington, I cut through the country to come, you know, come back this way. 
And uh, we were coming to a slowdown at a weird intersection, and he saw a couple in their driveway, and the couple wasn't the same race. And they were kissing. And Dad goes, oh, that ain't right. And, and I looked over, and I go, why? He said, it ain't right. That ain't, that ain't what you're supposed to do. And I said, why not? Because they ain't the same. I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, you know, they're not the same race. I says, well, I didn't see no NASCAR automobiles nowhere around here. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, you know what I mean? And then he starts using racial slurs. And I go, oh, you're talking about their skin color. I said, oh, okay, great. And I go, oh, so why isn't that right? We, you know, that ain't the way it's supposed to be. And I said, why? He said, the Bible says, I said, what chapter? What verse? He can't say. And I said, well, I said, I said, Dad, I just don't know what God does every day without your advice. I said, I'm sure that if he could just have a nice sit down with you, and you know, if he wasn't so busy holding the universe together, he could have a sit down with you, and, and you could straighten him out on things he's left out of the Bible, or you don't feel like he's gotten right. And my dad says, I could do it too. Now, I'm telling y'all, I'm at that point, I, you know, I thought I was doing a little chastising, and at that point, I kind of want to stop the car and be like, <laughs> okay, Lord, now. <laughs> they actually give John this opportunity where he self exalts and he doesn't take it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to bow, but that's not enough. Let me also exalt. Why? Because the authority is he is. He is supreme. And when we are in our right mind, we always bow to his authority. We always exalt his supremacy. We always say, yes, you're the boss. And John starts to exalt Jesus because, look at his reasoning. He says, he, he was outside of this system and stepped in. All I know is this system. Don't get it twisted. E, Christian ministry points to the words of Christ. In verses 32 through 34, so much could be said. The more I study this, the deeper it is. But in essence, he says he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one received his testimony. He's already said he stepped from out of the system to the in system. He understands everything in a way that none of us do. It's like, you better get in line with Jesus. You better start listening to Jesus. It's cool. I was preparing you for Jesus. He's here. Start listening to him. Start listening to him. That makes sense to anybody. Say amen. amen. I love verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. He gives the spirit without measure. He utters the words of God. So many texts I want to quote right here. One of my favorite comes later on in John. We'll get to it in three or four years. He says to these guys, he says, look, y'all don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. Tough language. Remember some of the, the Pharisees? Nobody knew the word like the Pharisees. Do you remember some of the things Jesus said to the Pharisees? You brew the vipers. In other words, you poison spitters. He also called them whitewashed tombs. One of my favorite put down. Christian ministry points to the words of Christ. John 6, 
a bunch of his followers stop following Jesus, he turns to Peter and the, the closest followers, and he says, hey, are you guys going to leave me? Peter, I don't know what his attitude was, but it sounds sort of resigned. He says, no, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. John bows to Jesus. John exalts Jesus. He said he's supreme. His words are the most important words. F, Christian ministry points to the authority of Christ. Verse 35 is so cool. The Father loves the Son and given all things into his hand. Given all things. It's another one of these places I'd like to pause right here and just talk about the authority of Jesus. My favorite parable on this is Jesus tells a story. He says, there's this guy, he has a vineyard. And he's got some people working it, and they're, they're not acting right. So he sends this person, and they run them off. And he sends that person, and they stone them. Finally, he sends his son, and they kill his son. He's telling his own story. How many prophets had God sent? Prophet, 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 prophet. So he sent his son. What, what does the world do to Jesus? They crucify him. Jesus dies on the cross as a substitutionary death for our for the sins of the elect. He is literally buried because he's died. On the third day, he rises from the grave, freaks out everyone, tells his followers to meet me in this spot. For 40 days, he teaches his followers. And then one of the last things he says to them, says, all authority has been given to me. Now go. John's just affirming like he, he already has the authority. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. It's okay. Now here's, this is going to be hard. You ready? It's okay if Jesus rips something out of my hand. Woo! I'm ready, but that doesn't work. Would it be okay if Jesus ripped your wealth out of your hand? Would it be okay if Jesus ripped your health out of your hand? Somebody's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I claim health and wealth. Ask Job. John is brilliant in his example to us. He points them to the authority of Christ. Last and not least, Christian ministry clearly proclaims the rewards of Christ and the consequences of rejecting Christ. Look back at verse 36 and in closing. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This just reiterates. We're going right back to John 3.18. We're already condemned. How do you escape condemnation? Believe on Jesus. What does it look like to believe on Jesus? Put your focus on Him and your faith in Him just like they did in Numbers 21 when they looked at the bronze serpent on the stick. They took God His Word and looked on God's symbol of faith. But we're looking on God's substance of salvation. Look on Jesus. Verse 36. Whoever, whoever believes in the Son of God has what, church? Eternal life. Whoever does not believe, obey the Son shall not see life. Now, I like that. It doesn't just say not obeying, not, I mean, not believing isn't just saying I don't believe. And saying you believe is not enough. If you say you believe and it's real, you will obey you can't fake your way into it. He clarified. John clarifies it. What are the rewards of the person who puts their faith in Christ? We share every single thing the Father gives to the Son. All of them. 
What are the consequences of rejecting Christ? The wrath of God remains on him. We're already condemned. Not believing on God, it remains on him. Now, I don't know if anybody in here had a dad like mine. Somebody here might have. My dad was a musician. He, uh, he was a lot better showman than he was a singer or a musician. He's a wonderful showman. I used, to, I used to hate to even give him that compliment. But man, he could put on a good show. Well, we would do all these really sophisticated things like stews and fish fries and, and, and stuff like that. Pig pickings. And my dad and his buddies would play music. And he could literally be up there singing a song, and he played rhythm guitar, singing a song or telling a story, and I could be twice as far back as the back of the church, and he'd see me do something, never miss a beat, and give me a look. And it was from that look I knew my tail is going to be beat. I don't know if any of y'all have parents like that. They could just do this thing. You know, my daughters, I hate put them on the spot. What's that one word I would say when y'all was little? Hey, that's awesome. Hey. It means about 40,000 different things, and they always know. Katie's eyes, when she was real little, I said, hey. <laughs> this is exactly what she did. She's like, are you real sure what I've done? I'm in trouble when I'm done. <laughs> See, that was my thing. John, John is giving you the, you know, my dad's the look. Playing a guitar. I'm like, I'm going to look at John. And you're like, okay, put it in the book. My tail is beat. I mean, was it when they take a break in a little while? Or right before we go home? Or after we get home, the tail is beat? So you know what I would try to do? Escape condemnation. You know how you escape condemnation? Go home with somebody else. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I'd be... I'd be going up to all my, even people I didn't like, they ask your mom if I stood up. <laughs> they ask your mom, yeah, y'all ready to go? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't you want, no, mm-mm. We ain't had dinner yet, fine, I'll pay, let's all go out. <laughs> you got any money? No. Can we sleep? <laughs> you know, what's, what's, you know, the world is a little nuts right now, and most of this search for purpose is wrapped up right here. We're really called to be heralds of the gospel, to be servants in the kingdom, to find our place behind Jesus and joyfully bow to him and willingly exalt him. All the stuff, you know how we like looking pretty and winning trophy and making money and being successful? It's that, it's that, what the, the real noble desire is we want, we want to hear our Father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We long to feel noble and just and right and important. And I'm telling you, believer, if this value isn't really primary in your life, it's part of what's wrong with you. It's why you have souls. You really want to take John's example and bow to Jesus and exalt Jesus. And, and, you know, John, like, dear to the pool. You know, we're drawn to that. A lot of times uh, we get sidetracked. You know, but what's God do? He keeps on drawing. You know, I'll never forget the story. Dion Sanders wins the Super Bowl, and he's laying in bed, and I go, is this all that it was? And that was the night. His testimony, that was the night he gave his life to the Lord. He's like, well, I, I, I thought that's what I was looking for. Now I got it, and it's 
you know, it's, it's, it's like sand crumbling in my own hands. Real simple sermon. Why did it take so long? Well, I get paid by the word. I'm trying to get a check. John bowed to Jesus. John exalted Jesus. Let me ask a couple questions. I gave you all the application. Go back through your notes. There they are. There's the application. When we see what that released John to do, and we begin to emulate that. We'll not only feel real purposeful, but we will, we will have a powerful partnership with God. Because that's the stuff he's going to empower. Bowing and exalting. Bowing and exalting. Now, the rough part of it is sometimes we know that there's this inner idol, which is self. Like, you know, I joke with people a lot. Like, you know, I don't bend very far because... I have a bend governor. You know, the bend just stops. But Tim is down there. I know. This is all law. This is as far as I'm allowed to go right now. That inner idol is, is often a worship governor. We realize to worship God, we're going to crush that inner idol. then outwardly, outwardly, to focus on exalting Christ is scary, it's intimidating, we don't want to be rejected, and it, God will often smash some of our hobbies in the process of taking them serious. John was like, great, it makes perfect sense. I don't mind saying that I've been trying to say that with John for over 20 years, and I struggled. I struggle. Because I want to be exalted. I still want to back third. I would hyperventilate halfway to first. And I still want to back third. I don't even play on the softball teams. And I think if I walked in the field, they should put me at third. Full of pride. Everywhere I turn. So if at everywhere I turn, I got to bow to Jesus and exalt Jesus. I'm always struggling within and without. Where does this start? It starts with saying the same things John said. Your words are most important. You have the authority. You're most important. And when you say that within, it starts to come more natural. Tonight, what's your commitment? I mean, just ask yourself a hard question. What do I most easily talk about? Then that's probably what you most worship. You know, some, some ladies today started talking about dress choices. It was five or six women to my right, and they started talking about how they pick out their dresses. There's one guy in front of me, and I turned, and I said, so how you been doing? And he laughed. He got it immediately. We had nothing for that conversation. We had nothing, because you know, we don't wear dresses. Yet. <laughs> You don't know why some of us are so silent in spiritual conversations? Got nothing over there. That can change. It's not a condemnation. You take inventory and you say, oh my God. Oh my God. I see where I am and I see where you want me. 
I know you'll receive me in Christ, and will you, will you give me a new path? You know what? God is awesome. He'll work with you. He'll bring you along bit by bit. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. How important you've always been or how insignificant you've always felt. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you how to respond to this. But to some, you have yet to believe on Jesus. This message remains. If you believe on Jesus, you escape condemnation. If you don't believe on Jesus, you remain under his wrath. Would you look on Jesus tonight, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. God, thank you for an opportunity to share from your word. Now, Father, as we stand to respond together in song, I humbly ask your Holy Spirit to move up and down the aisles and across every road to speak to men and women and boys and girls and to show us the noble calling that we all long to respond to is to take up our place as heralds of the gospel. If there be any soul who is yet look on Jesus and give them vision to see him and faith to believe in Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.